So this is love. It's a crazy video, isn't it? They actually filmed it up in the old fellowship hall. And just another plug about our great creative team. If you haven't had a chance to uh, watch the video that was used in the family service at Christmas Eve, uh, check it out on our Facebook page. It's truly, truly amazing. Uh, uh, Nate's son is one of the stars in the, in, the, in the video, but it was a great story. So this is love. Would you agree with me that falling in love is easy? Pretty easy to fall in love. In fact, uh, there are all kinds of helps today out there in the world to help people fall in love. But staying in love is messy. I'm guessing that there were some people praying this morning for good weather so that their spouse could hear uh, Nick or myself preach on marriage. But I'm sure there's probably some others that were praying for a blizzard to come so they wouldn't have to be here. I want to welcome all those who are probably watching on live stream, uh, still snug as a bug uh, in their house. But there's been more buzz about this series than any we've done in a long time. And certainly today we want to celebrate uh, strong marriages. I was talking to some couples just over here before the service began. They've been married 63 years. Uh, another couple right behind them were newlyweds. They've been married like, I think, 59 years. And so Lynn and I have been married 39 years. We're like just getting started, evidently. So it's all good. We want to celebrate those. And the marriages that have stood the test of time. But as pastors here at Mount Hoare, we hear from a lot of couples whose marriages are struggling. I know there are people here this morning that are in the midst of some painful relationships, people fighting for their marriages. There are people here today who are single because of death or because of a broken relationship or divorce. Speaking with someone yesterday who we were having a conversation about divorce, about uh, a new beginning uh, in his life, a new direction in his life, and he said to me these words, I wish we would have had this conversation a long time ago. And perhaps you will hear something this morning or over these next five weeks that you wish you would have heard a long time ago. But I, I, I trust in God's grace. I trust God for new beginnings and new opportunities. During the next several weeks, we're going to look at how we can cultivate a love that will last. A love that will last. Now, in preparation for this series, I've, I've prayed um, a lot. I've read scripture. Uh, I've discovered some new good, new good books on love and marriage. And, and strange thing is I found myself listening more to country music. I, I have found, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of country songs about love and about marriage. And so I, so I, uh, so I looked up some, some, some titles that I thought were a bit intriguing. Um, how about this one? I changed her oil and she changed my heart. I keep forgetting I forgot all about you. If love was oil, I would be a court low. <laughs> Some of you today may feel like you're a court low when it comes to love. If you leave me, can I come too? And my favorite one I found is my, while my John Deere was breaking your ground, your dear John was breaking my heart. <laughs> Lynn and I are in our 39th year of marriage. Uh, and we've learned a lot through those 39 years. Um, Lynn will be up here with me in a couple weeks. Uh, we'll share together uh, about marriage and about our relationship and what we've learned and um, those good things. Lynn said she has some conditions, though, before she would get up here. Uh, one, she said, I need a table. I need a chair with a back on it. And I need a bottle of water. And I prefer to be behind the, behind the screen. <laughs> 
I said, we can give you a couple of those things, perhaps, but uh, we look forward to that. But we've had a very good marriage, uh, not a perfect marriage, uh, but one that continues to grow and get better. Like every married couple here today, we've experienced times of frustration. We've had disagreements. We've had challenges. There have been highs. There have been lows. And now we are having the fun of growing old together. But in these 39 years, the one thing we've never lost is our love, our appreciation, our respect, and our awe for each other. And uh, I want to use a word throughout the message today. We've never lost our woe for each other. Say that with me. Whoa. I didn't say woe. I said whoa, right? What is that? Whoa, definition. I looked it up. It means express surprise or command attention. Surprise. So what is God's design for whoa? Uh, in Genesis, God created this incredible world. And, and what did God say about the world that he created? What did he say about it? It is it is good? No, he didn't say that. He said what? It is very good. He said it is very, very good. And, and, and when God calls something good, it's not kind of good. It's as good as it gets. And so God takes Adam and put him, puts him right in the middle of the garden. He tells Adam, I want you to take care of it. I want you to enjoy it. But Lynn read for us a scripture from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now keep in mind, chapter 3 of Genesis hasn't happened yet. There, there is no sin yet. There's no brokenness. And yet God recognizes that something isn't quite right. Adam is alone, and it's not a good thing. Now, Adam created, or God created Adam in his own image. And one of the things we know about God is that God is relational. God is about relationships. In fact, when you and I shared together in the Apostles' Creed, we affirm that God is represented by God the Son, uh, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. God in three, God in one in three, a hard doctrine to understand. But it reminds us that God is relational. And because he made us, he made us to be in relationship with him and with others, with others. You know, God wanted Adam to have a companion, a partner, a co-equal. But he also wanted Adam to have this incredible, deep sense of appreciation and respect for that partner. And those are two very important words when it comes to having a good marriage. Appreciation and respect. And apparently it worked because when Adam first laid eyes on Eve, he recited the first poem. In, in verses 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, a more literal translation might be, from Adam is at last, <laughs> at last, at last. And, and I think that whenever he described her as woman, maybe he said it like this, whoa, man, <laughs> whoa, man, this is, this is exciting. This is exciting. God gave him a gift. I love what Nick said about this, and uh, we were talking in sermon prep. He, ha he says, I have the image here of God, the attendant, walking Eve, the bride, down the aisle. And one of my favorite parts, we shared about this, is, is, is as a minister, when I stand down front for a wedding, is, is to look at the groom's face when the bride, his bride, walks down the aisle. And, and, and I'm looking for that, whoa, man. <laughs> I'm looking for that expression. 
But you know who else is looking for that expression? His soon-to-be mother-in-law. Because I watch her. She, she, she looks at the, uh, at the door and checks out her beautiful daughter, and she quickly looks at the grim and going, you better have that look, you know. And, uh, and so that, that, whoa, man, this is exciting. This is good. You know, God has made uh, Eve to be, a, to be a partner, a co-equal, um, a companion for Adam, and it's a good thing. Now, also, uh, Eve is described, a woman is described as, as a helper, a suitable helper. The word is Ezar. It's a Hebrew word, Ezar, and it means helper, but it also describes that when God rescues Israel. In fact, it's used 17 times in the Old Testament, and, only, and, and, all, and 16 of the 17 times it's God rescuing or redeeming Israel. I believe that Eve rescued Adam because he needed rescuing. I want to say to you that Lynn, my wife, has been a tremendous helper to me. Uh, she's been a very suitable helper, a pillar, a rock through 39 years of marriage and ministry. And I couldn't do what I do at this church without her, without her support, without her faithfulness. I can tell you the times that I've left the house in the morning to come uh, here during the week or even on Sunday mornings when I don't see her doing devotions and doing her prayers. And I know that when she's praying, she's praying for me. She reminds me of that. I had just prayed for you or praying for our family or praying for this ministry or praying for some of you. So Lynn is my rock. Uh, she is my pillar. Uh, she uh, is my helper. And I, and I want, to, want you to hear this. That needs to be mutual. There, there are times that, you know, I need to be her helper. I need to be her rock. So husbands, uh, don't just look at your wife as your helper. This is mutual. This is equal. Uh, and we have that responsibility. But I also believe that Lynn helped rescue me. I grew up in a, uh, as you heard me say before, a very dysfunctional uh, place. And when I married Lynn, she welcomed me into a very stable family, a very stable environment. And it was good for me. It was a good thing. So that's God's design. I think God has designed creation so that we uh, find people in our lives that can come alongside and help us become all that God wants us to be. You know, there's, there's a, all kinds of interesting theology here about how God made Adam and then he made Eve and how um, Eve uh, uh, was brought out of Adam and how almost like there was a separation. You know, in fact, one of the theologians that I really, really like in seminary talked about that Adam was a human being and then God made them into male and female, but then brought them back together in marriage so they could become one again. You know, and so marriage is a way of, of, of completing us. You know, we find our fulfillment in God, but this partner that God brings into our life has a way of fulfilling us and making us all that God wants us to be. So how do we discover the woe? You know, God, again, recognizes that Adam is lonely. But when God recognizes that Adam is lonely, according to Scripture, he doesn't do something about it immediately. He doesn't do something about it immediately. In fact, in fact instead, he, he tells Adam, hey, I got a job for you. I want you to go name all the animals. <laughs> you know, Adam's thinking about something else. And God says, hey, go name all the animals. Now, that's, I can only imagine that taking a long time, right, to name all the animals. And don't you imagine that every time that Adam names an animal, a pair of animals, a couple of animals, you know, a male and a female animal, that he felt lonely? And he knew that he didn't have a similar kind of companion. So he goes about uh, naming all the animals. Don't know how long that could have taken. 
But only when he finishes naming the animals that God then puts Adam into a deep sleep and creates Eve out of his own flesh. I want you to hear this this morning. If you're single this morning, Adam was faithful to his God-given assignment. Adam was faithful to his God-given assignment. He kept his eyes on God, and God met his needs. Jesus said it this way, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. That's exactly how it happened for me. I was busy serving God. I had followed God's call to go to South Carolina uh, to, to work at Lakewood Campground. I left everything behind in Kentucky uh, and uh, went to work. I wasn't looking for a wife. I was looking for a ministry and a mission that God had me on. But I never forget that eureka look of discovery. That, whoa, man, when Lynn and her twin sister walked into the lobby of Lakewood Campground at 11 o'clock at night, 11.30 at night, looking for a job. And, uh, you know, you've heard me tell that story perhaps, but they walked in in identical uh, outfits because they were coming from another job, and they're identical twins. And I just said to uh, my friend, uh, I'm going to marry one of those girls, you know. And, uh, and, uh, but just for the record, I married the prettiest one, okay, just for the record. Okay. Um, but I, I kind of said to myself, at last, <laughs> You know, I dated other people and had other relationships, but hey, this is special. And, and I, you know, you, you can say you don't believe in love at first sight, and certainly Lynn didn't believe in love at first sight, but I did. <laughs> you know, it took a little while for, uh, for, 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 for us to fall in love, but, but I knew that she was very special and I wanted to spend my life with her. So discovering the woe. So let me just say to you again, if you're single, uh, if you're alone right now, don't make your mission in life to meet someone. Don't let your mission in life be to meet someone. Make your mission in life about loving God, about loving God and following his call. I love the advice of a good friend of mine that says to single people, keep your eyes on God and occasionally look to your left and look to your right and see who God brings into your life. And one of those people will be the person you might spend the rest of your life with. But, but most of all, keep your focus on God. One day, there's a good possibility you too will say, whoa. But in the meantime, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and pursue his purpose for your life. Well, God has a design, and we need to be discovering uh, his will and his way. How do we derail this whoa that we experience? I want to camp down here for a few minutes and talk about this. Over the past 100 years or so, the assumption in social sciences like psychology is that bad is the opposite of good. So the approach has been to study the bad and then just reverse your findings. So in order to find the key to healthy marriages, psychologists would study unhealthy marriages and tell us what not to do. Makes sense, right? Just study some bad marriages and don't do what they do. These studies found that in unhappy marriages, neither partner really understood one another very well, and they couldn't accurately identify the other's strengths or weaknesses. But more recent studies have taken a different approach. Instead of studying unhealthy marriages, they started studying healthy marriages, people that had been married at least 10 years. Now, the assumption was, based on the previous research, that these happy couples would probably have a very realistic and much more down-to-earth understanding of one another. Makes sense, right? Now, what they found was the complete opposite. This is really interesting stuff. 
These happily married couples had an even more unrealistic view of one another than the unhappy marriages had. Turns out they saw one another as way better than they saw themselves. They saw each other way better than they saw themselves. They were asked to rate each other's strengths and weaknesses, and almost every time the partner would rate their spouse higher than they rated themselves. So the husband might rate himself like a five or a six in one area, but the wife would rate him like a nine or vice versa. They saw their spouses better than they saw themselves. In fact, they had a higher view of their spouses than their spouses had of themselves. Now think about that for a minute. They had a higher view of their spouses than their spouses had of themselves. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that the way our God looks at us? That God has a much higher view of us than we have of ourselves? The evil one wants to tell us how bad we are, how terrible we are. But God says, I love you, and I want you to become all that you can be. You have all this potential. I've gifted you with all these gifts and graces and mercy, and I want you to be somebody special. And we become that person. We start believing that God loves us that way. So it's interesting that, that spouses had a higher view of their spouse than their spouse had of themselves. But, but also, think about that. Isn't that the, exactly the way it was when you first met your spouse? Man, you thought they were perfect, right? You thought that they were incredible. And in fact, when other people would say to you, you know, this person you're dating, you can't see this, but they really, and they start telling you what's bad about this person. And you say, but you don't know them, right? You don't know them the way I know them. I'm sure that there were people in Conway, uh, maybe even some people in Lynn's family that said, you know that Jeff guy, he's got long hair and he's from Kentucky and he's from, you know, he's, you know, really, seriously. And I think Lynn said to them, but you don't know him like I know him. You know, for years, I thought her dad really liked me, you know, when we were dating. You know, I thought, wow, you, you know, I've really got this thing. And I found out much later that he was telling her all the time, you need to get rid of this guy. This guy is trouble, I'm telling you. So, you know, but, but, but thank goodness she saw something in me that, uh, that, that her dad eventually uh, saw in me, I think. But anyway, I think we, we get along great now, her dad and I. But, um, but that's, uh, that's what makes it special. But what, what happens to that? What happens to that, that, uh, that whoa feeling that you have, that awe, that admiration, that appreciation? What happens to it? Well, as life goes on, uh, we can get disappointed. We can get hurt. We can get let down. We can get bored. And slowly but surely, we stop celebrating them for who they are and start focusing more and more on who they aren't. And not what they do, but what they don't do. And that's when intimacy starts to break down. And that's when things like resentment and contempt and bitterness start to creep in. Nick and Trevor turned me on to an author by the name of John Gottman. And he's an expert on marriage. He's a Jewish guy, uh, a good writer. I don't agree with everything he says in his books, but there's some really, really good, practical, helpful stuff there. And he talks about identifying four negative behaviors that are predictors or can predict divorce and how changing those behaviors can significantly change your relationship. And with God's help, I believe we can make those changes. So I'm going to lift up for you what he describes as the four horsemen, things that can really cause problems in your marriage that will derail the woe that you had at one time. The first one is criticism. I'm going to spend a lot of time on these, uh, but criticism. Now, a complaint will focus on a specific behavior 
A criticism attacks the character of a person. There's a difference between a complaint and a criticism. Criticism attacks the character of a person. Criticism is, you always talk about yourself, you're so selfish. What's the antidote for that? I'm feeling left out by our talk tonight. Can we please talk about my day? You see, the antidote for criticism is to complain without blame. To complain without blame. There's going to be times that we all have things that we're not happy about. But let's make sure we don't blame when we complain. The second one is defensiveness. You ever heard that one? Defensiveness is defined as a self-protection, a form of righteous indignation, of innocent victimhood in an attempt to ward off a perceived attack. The problem with becoming defensive is it never solves the problem. When you get defensive, the problem is never solved. Defensiveness would say, it's not my fault that we're always late. It's your fault. Now, don't raise your hand if you've heard that before. <laughs> it's not my fault. We're late. It's your fault. The antidote would say, well, maybe it is part of my problem. I need to perhaps think more about time. I need to maybe get home earlier next time. I need to maybe get started getting ready earlier next time. See, the antidote for defensiveness is to accept some of the responsibility. Because the thing that I've learned about marriage through the years, the 39 years of ministry and marriage, is there's two sides to every story. Not just your side, not just his side. There's two sides. So take a minute and don't be so defensive and maybe see that maybe you had a part to play. Now, the third one, very important, is contempt. Contempt. Statements made with an air of superiority. You, you've, you've, you've experienced contempt before, have you not? We identify it with sarcasm, cynicism, name-calling, eye-rolling. Don't do that. Eye-rolling, sneering, mockery, and hostile humor. Gottman says that contempt is the greatest predictor of divorce and must be eliminated. Contempt. I believe contempt is getting close to what Jesus described as a hardened heart. When your heart becomes hardened. Contempt is poisonous to a relationship because it can face disgust. Uh, and building, but the antidote is building a culture of appreciation and admiration. In your program today, you have homework. We don't usually give you homework, but you have homework today. And so if you didn't get a program, make, your, make sure you pick up one. But there are, there are five days here of activities. And, and one of the things that they're working on is, is to discover appreciation and to help you rediscover the woe in your relationship. But there's one more. Let me give you one more of the four horsemen. The fourth one is stonewalling. That occurs when the listener withdraws from the conversation. And the thinking is, if I can just shut it out, the problem won't be here anymore. Now, the antidote for stonewalling is take a break. Let me define that for a minute. Take a break. It doesn't mean two hours. It doesn't mean two days. It doesn't mean two weeks. It doesn't mean two months. It doesn't mean two years. I read something, saw a headline, didn't read the article, that uh, a husband finally spoke to his wife after 20 years. <laughs> That's stonewalling, right? The experts say on stonewalling, you wait 20 minutes. 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Then I'll talk about this a little bit. We, we, we've had to learn how to, to get past that. And I'm more extroverted, Lynn's more introverted. And 
with that, you know, Lynn would get mad. She would go, and she, when Lynn shut the door, I knew I was in trouble, right? Door was shut, and I uh, couldn't go in. And so, you know, it was great when Aaron and Ashley were there. I could send them in, you know? And now, now, now it's hard to get Harper to go in. I'm not going in there, Harper. Go in. No. But anyway, no, it's, uh, uh, it's all good. We're getting better at that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm waiting 20 minutes. I'm trying to wait 20 minutes. Um, but uh, it's just a time to cool down. But you, but, you, but you go ahead and handle the problem. Because if you don't handle, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really boil up and get much worse much later. So I believe with God's help, with good principles, with good scripture, perhaps with good conversation, maybe with good counselors, we can work through some of those. So if those four things are evident in, in your relationship right now, uh, or if they've been a part of a relationship in the past that didn't end well, I believe you can get some help to learn how to handle those four things. Uh, very important. Criticism, uh, 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 defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. So how do we defend or guard the woe? I want to spend a few minutes talking about that as we close today. Uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about is honor. Honor. In, in our marriage vows that I give, uh, that Lynn and I took, uh, one of the things is, is we say is, I will honor her. Right? You said that in your marriage vows, right? I will honor him. I will honor her. What does that mean to honor? Honor is to treat someone with, with respect. It's to treasure. It's to see someone as a prize. Um, I love these words from 1 Peter. Uh, chapter 3, verse 7, taken from the message, uh, paraphrase. The same goes for you husbands. Now, let me just stop there, husbands. I want to speak to you all for just a minute. But, but this honor thing is mutual. One, one of the keys to having a great marriage is mutual respect of each other, mutual treasuring and mutual honoring, okay? Just the same with helper. We're, the, the wife and the husband are to help. And so don't take anything I said today that says, husband, don't go home and tell your wife you're supposed to be helping, you know, do this, do this. No, we're both supposed to help, right? And we're both supposed to honor. Because I, I shared this verse at Men's Prayer Breakfast on Friday morning, and I gave men uh, seven steps to honor their wives. And I'm going to give you those in just a minute. But I had some guys say to me, you, you, you are going to talk to the wives, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yeah, we'll cover that too. Uh, but... Uh, but uh, let's read it. The same goes for, for you, you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them, delight in them. Now, men, say that with me. Honor them, delight in them. You were pretty quiet on that. Let's try that again. Honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages, but in the new life of God's grace. I love that phrase. In the new life of God's grace. If you're here today, you can be a new man. If you're here today, you can be a new woman. Why? Because of God's grace. You can start over today and learn how to honor your spouse. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wife then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. Now, why did I do that at men's prayer breakfast? Because I said to about 80 men that there's a good chance your prayers aren't working if you're not honoring your wife. If you're not honoring your wife, your prayers probably aren't working. So if you want your prayer life to be effective, start honoring your wife. Then I gave them these uh, seven things, and these are mutual, okay? The, the, both of you, husbands and wives, take these. Number one, become strong in the Lord. The best way to honor your spouse, honor your wife, honor your husband is be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Get deeper with God. And the fact that you're here this morning is a good sign that, you, that you're at least interested in that. But it goes way beyond Sunday morning worship. Being strong in the Lord is about getting connected into community. 
It's getting into a small group. It's getting into a Bible study. It's you as a couple learning and studying God's word together. Become strong in the Lord. Number two, believe the best about her. Respect her opinion. Listen to her gut. (laughs) There is such a thing as women's intuition, right? And husbands, we probably need to do a better job of listening to our wife's gut. That sometimes they tell us things that we need to pay attention to. Lynn's been very good at that through the years. She has given me warnings about situations, about relationships, about persons, about whatever. And and I do a lot better when I pay attention to what she says uh, to me. Uh, Believe the best about her. Number three, build her up, never run her down. Build her up, never run her down. Men, to you directly, if you're in 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 a group of men talking and they're talking about their wives and they're running them down, step away. Don't be a part of that conversation of running down your wife. And wives, same thing. Certainly don't run down your husband with a group of gals. Don't get on Facebook. Don't run your wife or your husband down, okay? Defend them. Build them up. And then men be willing to fight for her. Uh, Women be willing to fight for him. Number five, bulletproof your heart. Bulletproof your heart or guard your heart. Jesus said it this way. It's from, it's, it's, it is what comes from inside you that defiles you. Or from within, out of a person's heart, come all kinds of evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, adultery, greed, lustful desires, deceit, slander, foolishness, and etc. They all come from within. You want to honor your wife? Guard your heart. Unplug the computer. Turn the TV off. Quit having conversations and texts with people you shouldn't have conversation and text with. Guard your heart. Honor your spouse. Wives, same thing. Guard your heart. Don't let other things come in your heart that shouldn't be there. Number six, bear your heart. There are times, men, we need to confess our weaknesses and our struggles to our wives. At the very lowest of my moments, Lynn has been there to hear my confession. Lynn has been there to hear me struggle. And to hear me wonder if I want to keep doing what I'm doing. And she's been there not only to hear that confession, but to pray for me and pray with me about those things. And then the last thing I said to the men, I'll say to all of us today, bring her to God in prayer. You want to honor your spouse, pray for your spouse. Pray with your spouse. Pray and bring her to God. Honor is such an important way to recapture the woe to defend the woe, to guard it. Then one final thing is gratitude. Gratitude. You know, gratitude is relational. And we come here to express our gratitude to God because God has done great things for us. But relationships is about gratitude. In fact, studies have shown that people who consistently practice gratitude have stronger immune systems and lower blood pressure. It's a good, good news to hear, right? How do you get a little more, how do you lower your blood pressure a little bit? And start talking about gratitude. Start becoming thankful people. You know, over the next five weeks, can we strive to shift from defensiveness and criticism and stonewalling and contempt and start practicing some gratitude? How hard is it to say, thank you? Thank you. When's the last time you said thank you to your spouse? Just out of the blue, said thank you. 
Yesterday, I was putting the finishing touches on the sermon, and Lynn has spent several hours working on all of our year-end tax stuff, right? And trust me, I said thank you several times <laughs> because she is really good at that, and I am not good at it at all. If, we, if I was doing it, we'd be in serious trouble. Uh, but she said, I said to her, thank you. And, and, and we need to practice that a lot. Thank you. In fact, if you have a hard time doing that, men or women, how about setting an alarm on your phone? to go off a couple times a day. And when that alarm goes off, you text your wife, your husband, and say, thank you for, and make sure at the end you put a smiley face, right? <laughs> or, hey, I've learned how to put that little heart thing on there, you know? You, they got those little things that you can make the little heart that kind of does this number, you know? Boom, 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 boom. I don't want to give all my tricks away, okay? But anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, one thing that, Lynn, we can talk about this uh, when we talk, but... Uh, one thing that I like to do when I'm, when I'm out of town is I'll, I'll uh, a way of saying thank you to Lynn, I'll, I'll try to, I'll find a, you know, of technology, you can find any song anywhere, right? And so you can capture that song and, and copy it and uh, send it in a text and say, I was thinking about you. And uh, usually it's, a, it's not one of those old country songs, it's more of a love song. But anyway, uh, I love what Proverbs says, uh, Proverbs 16, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Kind words, words of gratitude are sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. They're very healthy for a marriage to speak kind words of gratitude. I read this story that took place on a primitive Pacific island. In that island, men would uh, pay a dowry for their wives and cows. Sound like a country song, right? Two or three cows could buy a decent wife, but for four or five cows, you could get a really nice wife. Johnny Lingo, though, had offered an unheard uh, price of eight cows for Sarita. Sarita was a girl that everyone in her home village thought was very plain. And the local folks made fun of Johnny Lingo for paying so much for his wife. But uh, the tell of the story, when she sees Johnny Lingo's wife, she's stunned by her beauty. She, she wonders how it could be the same woman. How could she be so different and Johnny's reply shows that he's nobody's fool. He said, do you ever think what it must mean to a woman to know that her husband has settled on the lowest price for which she can be bought? And then later, when the women get together and talk, they boast of what their husbands paid for them. One says four cows. Another maybe says six cows. How would she feel if she knew that somebody paid one or two cows for her? I couldn't let this happen to my Sarita. So you did it to make her happy? Oh, I want her to be happy, but I wanted much more than that. You said she's different. It's true. He says many things can change a woman. Things that happen inside, things that happen outside. But the thing that matters the most is what she thinks about herself. Before, Sarita believed she was worth nothing. But now, now she knows she's worth more than any woman on the island. I want her to know that she's an eight-cow wife. After Lynn did those taxes, I told her yesterday she's a 10-cow wife. <laughs> you see, folks, do you believe the best about what God has brought into your life? You know, I, I heard a song this morning on the way in. It wasn't a country song. But it says, basically, God, I believe in you because my story's not over yet. My story's not over yet. Your story is not over yet. 
If you'll hold on to God's grace, you will hold on to God's promises, you will experience his glory because your story isn't over yet. Amen?